small groups we believe, mops, small groups, um, Sunday school, it, it's critical that you be plugged in to parts of the church where you can grow. We've gone over this. We are wired to be relational. We are wired, okay, to grow in community. And it's a critical part of what we're trying to do um, as we grow in Christ and we become who he wants us to be. You are not going to find an example in the Bible. You can look through the New Testament. You can read through it. You can, you can do whatever you want. You're not going to find an example of somebody that grows outside of good solid relationships. And so we want to encourage you to take that seriously. Last week, we heard from five of our group leaders uh, what their groups would look like. And so for some of you, you've signed up and it's great. Uh, Many of you are still on the fence. And so I want to encourage you and we're going to hear from the other five briefly and then um, we'll, we'll move on. So Mark, you're up here. You could start. Well, good morning. Um, I'm going to be leading the men's small group, and the topic of what we're going to talk about is as uh, simple as it is challenging, and that is simply to act like men. Um, When I realized the church was going to be doing a men's group and that it was going to be on acting like men, I realized that probably only the manliest guy could possibly lead a group like that. So I volunteered, and the church immediately decided that I needed a co-leader, and they um, went to Chad Kristoff. I think some money was exchanged. I'm not sure. But um, Paul says in Scripture that uh, we are to be watching, standing firm in our faith, and we are to act like men. He says that in Corinthians. What does that mean? What does it mean when it fails? And how can we build a legacy? And so that's the purpose of uh, our small group. Um, It was also determined that there's a lot of guys in our church that uh, enjoy firearms, like to spend some time, uh, trigger time out on the the range. So we're going to kind of incorporate that, work work through that. And um, so it's filling up. So if you're interested, please sign up. Thank you. Mike? Morning. That's better. You practiced on Mark. (laughs) Wednesday nights at 7.30, Shelley and I will be leading a small group. Um, It will be a time of fellowship, a time of snacks, a time of study. It's a time to share some life. Our study time will be on the first half of Acts. And uh, we're going to look, we're going to pay careful attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing and asking a different question of, so what? So just for the first chapter alone, you know how the first four words of the Bible, you know what they are? In the beginning, God. If we accept that, how much it changes our life? Well, Acts has one of those statements too. It also has a statement about the 13th disciple, how he was chosen. We have a statement where the, the critics of the Bible say the Bible contradicts itself. We can look at that. Um, 
we can look at also what's it mean when the Holy Spirit comes in power. What the Holy Spirit does, how it teaches. It's going to be a time where we can get together and say, so what? And we can ask, so what's that mean? And we'll work on the answers together. So if that intrigues you, you're very welcome to join Shelley and I. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Dean. It's 2.45 a.m. On an early Friday morning in November in Chicago, it's the 18th inning of this Game 7 of the World Series. The Cubs are behind by a run to the Indians or maybe the Orioles. And because it's the 18th inning, all of the other players have had their turn. So Joe Madden turns around and he sees two people on the bench, me and you. And one of us has to win the game or else Chicago is going to have to go another 117 years without a World Series. <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds, think about this. In Hebrews chapter 11, after listing all the people in the Old Testament who did great things for God, the, the anonymous writer talking to the anonymous people said, without us, their job is not done. So we're going to talk in our small group about this subject, what I want to be when I grow up in Christ. We'll be using a book called the life you've always wanted. And we're gonna meet here at the church at seven on Wednesdays. Perfect, thank you. Indians. <laughs> Carolyn or Phyllis, who, who's up? You, you're fine, here you go, I'll bring the microphone to you. Good morning, again. Majesty, last week, Pastor Matt mentioned majesty in the children's sermon. I thought that was interesting because um, Max Lucado thinks majesty is pretty important also. Thursday afternoons at 2 o'clock here at the church, Phyllis and I will be leading a Max Lucado study called God Came Near, the Chronicles of the Christ. The whole point of this study is to help us understand that whether we're new believers or have been a part of the family for many, many years, it's easy for our vision to become clouded and to forget about the majesty of God. This study will help us see the importance of Jesus' incarnation, the impact of his life here on earth to each of us, and then how to apply that in imitating uh, his example in our own life. So come join us and learn more about majesty. Thank you. All right, and the last group of the 10 that we haven't heard from yet is me. And uh, what we'll be doing in my group um, is we'll just be going through some. Mine, mine is called Blessed Hope 101. And so you can see from that that basically we'll be dealing with uh, the basics. Um, not, not the basics like they're, they're unimportant, but the basics of um, faith and, and where we start and how to grow. And we'll talk uh, doctrine and belief, and we'll talk behavior and life, and uh, we'll get a look at some of the specific things that Blessed Hope believes and does and how we do ministry and what our philosophy of ministry is and so that'll be a good time if you've been thinking you know what i've been at blessed hope for a while or i'm relatively new 
but I want to figure out what this church is about and I want to go deeper with the church, it would be a great class for then you to plug in with as we figure out how to do that together. So that'll be fun. So you've had all 10 groups laid out in front of you, five last week, five this week. Your brochure that's in your um, bulletin will lay them out more clearly. If this is your first week, if this is your 873rd week, um, the elders are encouraging you to get plugged in uh, and be growing together. And that's, that's important for us. And it's, it's what we're, um, frankly, it's what we're about. Okay. We talked about that last week, um, that we are, um, a church that values relationships. Everybody is valuable. Everybody needs grace. And we are a church that values discipleship, saved people grow. Okay. So it is what it is. Uh, and you'll notice we're having a little technical thing. So we've, we've got some uh, so you guys over here are going to have to look extra far at this screen to see what we've got for you. But we're going to jump right in. And I know some of you are looking at the clock going, okay, that guy normally preaches for 45 minutes. And that's going to be, it, it'll be okay. Trust me. Okay, we're going to be all right. I told you it's a little different today than our typical um, Sunday. So it's okay. Track with me. We're going to be all right. We start here. Uh, we're we're kind of getting through our series, No Perfect People Allowed. And remember, again, I'll remind you one more time. That's not suggesting that if someone perfect happens to walk through the door, that we are going to send them away. Um, it simply is to say this, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, um, you are not perfect, neither am I. Um, we shouldn't expect perfect people here in the church. And uh, so we've kind of been dealing with the fact that none of us are going to be perfect. We're all going to be problematic. We're all going to be messy. We're all going to be a little bit um, gross at times. But here in this family... We still fit, and we still grow, and we still come alongside one another, and that's why this stuff is so critical. So uh, by way of review, let me just tell you this. Some of you are like, okay, we're still talking about small groups. Why are we still talking about small groups? We get it. You like small groups. Hear me. Listen, small groups are critical because God uses like-minded Christians. Remember, like-minded does not mean you agree on everything. Like-minded means you have the same foundation. If you are a Christian, and you are here today. If you are not a Christian and you're here today, then, then this is maybe not quite true for you, and, and maybe um, you're getting kind of an inside look at how Christians are supposed to be acting and operating a little bit. But if you're a Christian today, then you and I have the same foundation. We have a foundation in Christ, in salvation, in being made new. We are, we are made new in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Okay, our old is gone, our new has come. We have the same foundation. We may not always think or go the same direction, but we start from the same point. We are like-minded in that. Okay? And like-minded people, God uses like-minded people to grow one another, even though we're broken. It's crazy. Like, I got issues. I mean, listen, you're polite. You're like, no, you don't. yeah, I got issues. Trust me, and you've got issues, but God uses us to go together. And in small groups, he's the thing. We're challenged to grow past what naturally is our self-centeredness. I am selfish. It's one of my issues. You probably are too, deep down. I can't say that for sure, but I know I am. But God uses groups to help us grow past our self-centeredness, to help us genuinely care for one another. Some of the things that Jill and Joe talked about, you can ask them more about that later, but to genuinely start to care for other people. And, and when you're in a group context like that, 
you move. It's this great shift. You move from asking why. Why do I have to? Why is it necessary? Why is it important? Why should I? Why should God be able to ask that of me? Why does it happen this way? You move past why and you start asking the question how. How do I pull it off? How can God help me to do that? I know I, know I need to. I know I should. I know it's what I'm supposed to do, but how? It's a profoundly different question. This is what groups do for us. And so that's why small groups. It's what we're about. And so the other thing, though, today, I mean, here, here's, here's what we've got to talk about. You're, you're, I get it. I'm reading your mind. You're like, okay, we get it. We get it. Well, there's one more thing I need you to know about small groups. Okay? And it's different than we've addressed it before. Okay? The other thing I need you to know about small groups is that small groups not only exist for your growth, but they also exist for your joy. Small groups exist for your joy. Okay? It is in small groups or a group of like-minded people that are intentional about growing together. Okay? You can call it whatever you want. We've been over that. Um, but when they're participated in well, when it's taken seriously, then here's what happens. Your joy deepens, it strengthens, it intensifies, it lengthens, your joy becomes more complete. Okay? And I I've told you this before, Carrie and I, uh, we have this thing that we say to each other. Whenever, whenever one of us shares an outlandish fact or something that's a little less than believable, um, or off the cuff, you know, we'll look at each other and we're like, okay, show your work. Like, prove to me how you got there. Like, you know, Carrie would be like, well, you always do this. I'm like, show your work. <laughs> show me how I always do this. Uh, by the way, that doesn't go well for me. <laughs> but I'm messy. I ask anyway, right? And so you might say, okay, so I say small groups are for your joy. When you participate well in small groups, it, it intensifies and magnifies and lengthens and it's good for your joy. And you say, okay, Hans, show your work. How is that true? And I'm going to tell you this, all through scripture, all through scripture, we read this one thing over and over and over again, that people are happiest when they are generous. And I say generous and you think money. I'm not talking money, although it's true that some of the happiest, healthiest saints um, are people that are hyper generous, but I'm talking about when you're self-generous, when you are giving of yourself. And, and and that shouldn't surprise you. Here's what Jesus, or what Paul reminds us, what Jesus says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus that were this. It is more blessed to give than receive. Simply what it says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We are more happy, more deeply satisfied, we are better equipped. We feel more rich when we give than when we receive. And, and, and some of you say, well, Matt, that's not right. It doesn't fit. It's not really um, the way it works in real life. And I'm going to ask you, are you sure? Are you sure about that? You know what I love? I love movies. Some of you know that all too well. I'm a big fan of movies. And movies that I watch will oftentimes have a bad guy. And a bad guy that is, that is bent on world domination. 
or they want to rob banks, or they want, to, they want to get rich. They want all this stuff. And here's the thing I'm always confused about in those movies. Those guys that want to do all of that, you know, world-dominating, uh, they want to get rich, they want to... Those people, man, they're already loaded, right? I mean, you see rich people in movies. The bad guys are always like the heads of these huge corporations, these CEOs of everything. They live in these big mansions or these things, and they've, they've got so much money that they can pay the henchmen to work for them and get shot and, and killed in the movie. And I'm thinking to myself, seriously? Like, what is it that you need? Like, like what do you need more of that this evil plot had to happen right here? Well, at one, it would be a terrible movie without a bad guy. So I'll acknowledge that. But you know what? Here's the deal. Think about, it never satisfies. You know, if we really stop and think about things in life, we say, well, it's counterintuitive that the more you give of yourself, the more joy you have. The, the more you give, the more blessed you are. It's more blessed to give than receive. It's where real happiness, real joy comes from. It flows from. And we say, well, Matt, that's not true. It's not true. The more I have, the happier I am. The more I, the more I accumulate, the more I get, the happier I am. And I'm going to say, no. Show your work. Show me somebody who truly has and who truly is about accumulation who is ever satisfied. Show me one person whose idea is to collect as much as possible and hoard as much as possible who's ever truly satisfied. Somebody that's not Scrooge McDuck. Some of you, I know, some of you, you're DuckTales fans, you're like Scrooge McDuck. No, a real person. You're not going to find them. They don't exist. It doesn't happen. Okay? And so the challenge here is for us to get past that and for us to believe that what Jesus says here, what Paul reminds us of in Acts, that it's real. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And by blessed, that word for blessed means that we have genuine, real happiness that stems from that. Okay? And so that's, that's part of what we have to get to today. And there's something else, um, well... I mean, I'll tell you this. Look, it's not free from risk. Let's just acknowledge this up front. It's not free from pain. The giving of yourself, the pouring yourself into other people is not free from hardship. But how many times do I have to tell you this? Whoever told you that the Christian life was simple, man, they, they probably weren't giving it to you straight. Whoever told you that the Christian life was easy, they, they probably weren't telling you the truth. They were probably more interested in getting you to sign on the bottom line than they were in getting you grown up in Christ. This isn't simple. It's hard. It's risky. But it's worth it. Okay, so we need to drill down on these things as we start. Uh, and, and understand this. Listen, normal isn't best. See, some of you, again, you're like, but Matt, I kind of like it easy. I kind of like it normal. You're like, I, I, I get this idea that, that it's more blessed to give than receive. That's what God says. The Bible says this. It, it's, all, it's all fine and good. But, but that's not how people normally act, right? We have this idea that we can fit our Christianity inside a framework that's a little better than normal. And I was there for so long. I'm going to tell you that I lived there for a long time. I get it. I understand why you do it, but it's nonsense. What we say is we say, well, normal is here. Normal is good, right? This is the way the world normally works. 
So I will kick it up just a notch above normal, and then it's going to be all right. I'm a notch above normal, so that's my Christian life, and it's holier, it's more righteous, it's better, okay? But it's still normal adjacent, right? Like, here's normal. Well, I'll go to church on Sundays, and that'll be good, right? Because that's, that's, it's more than normal. It's, it's a little extra. But normal isn't where happiness comes from. Again, take a look around the world. Take a look at the people that you know well, the people that are genuinely happy are people that are not living normal lives. And Paul lays this out for us. In, in 1 Thessalonians, um, Paul lays out this picture of what it means to pour yourself out on behalf of another person. And that's what he does. And, and I, because I am such a good pastor, and I'm holy, and I'm righteous, and I'm blameless, and I left my Bible in my office. <laughs> May I? Um, yeah, so that's my bad. Uh, but we're going to be in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12, and then I'll bring it back. Here's what it says. You can read with me here. No, I don't need glasses. It's not that small. It says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we made does not spring from an error in impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of a God who calls you into the kingdom of his glory. Now, I want to drill down on that a little bit. I want to share with you what's happening there. In that text, what's going on is Paul and... Um, Timothy, and they had another companion with him. They had poured themselves out for the church in Thessalonica. They had lived there. They had worked hard at secular jobs while they were there to support themselves so that they could preach the gospel and they could raise up this new church. Okay? They, were, um, they weren't even bivocational pastors. They had a secular vocation who poured themselves out in all of their free time to help grow the church and teach the truth and to do these things. And what had happened is, people had come in after the fact saying, uh-uh, their motives were unpure. That they, they really had greed at heart. What they really were after was money. They didn't care if people grew up in Christ. They wanted money. They didn't really care if people came to faith. Um, they were after self-glory. They didn't really care if, if people's lives were changed. They just wanted to be known for being awesome. And so these people had started a rift in the church, 
in Thessalonica because they had started to say, well, you know, that guy you follow, that guy that taught you everything, he's all selfish anyway. And perhaps these people were jealous. Perhaps they had a different message that wasn't being listened to. We don't really know what their motives were, but they were, they were trying to, to, to drive a wedge between Paul and the people. And, and, and part of the way they were doing that was saying, look, they didn't do it for you. They didn't do it right. They didn't do it with right motives. And Paul says, okay, wait, stop. He says, what's happening now is you're robbing my joy. And so here, here's what happens. He starts to say in, in this, and starts with, um, you read this six times in these 12 verses. Either you know, you remember, or you are witnesses, right? He says, look, you know what happened when we were there. You remember how we poured out and gave to you. You remember your witnesses to everything that happened. And frankly, it's where the joy comes from. So what he's saying, he's like, we did these things not because we had to, not because we were selfish, not because we were greedy, but we did them because, but because we desired to do these things with you. See, Paul gives you seven ways here that he pours himself out for the benefit of the church, but that feeds his own joy. That's what happens in that text. He starts with, and you know, he shares. He says, look, it's not about um, doctrine. He doesn't say to them, okay, listen, you guys remember all the fancy stuff I taught you. Like, you're not going to read that in this text. You're going to read 12 verses here, and not one of them does he remind them of some kind of grand theological truth. He's not talking to them about the hypostatic union. He's not talking to them about what Christ is for the propitiation of their sin. He's not talking about any of those fancy theological things, right? He's not dealing with any of that. He's not. What he's saying is, you remember, though, how we lived when we were with you. He's not saying, you remember what I said. He's saying, you remember what I did. And it fed him. It feeds the joy in all of this. Listen to me. There's a, there's a truth here that you have to learn. Okay, there's a truth here that you need to know when it comes down to all these things. Look, what you know is important. What you know is critical. What you believe to be true is absolutely imperative. But nobody cares. I mean, let, let's, let's be realistic here. What you believe is important, what you know is important, but when you're trying to share life with people, they don't care what you know. They don't care what you believe unless you can share life with them. It's where joy comes from. They want to see it lived out. And listen to me. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Some of you have been a Christian for, for maybe days minutes. Some of you, your entire lives, okay? But you and I both know this, that, that what feeds you is not more knowledge. I mean, knowledge is great. You're supposed to grow up in knowledge and truth. My small group will have plenty of teaching about knowledge, and here are some believing things, and, you know, here's, here's some doctrine that we need to know and we need to understand, and yes, that's all true. But what feeds you is doing life with people that love you. And that's what Paul says here. He says, no, you know, just remember. Remember everything that we went through together. Remember how I loved you. And he says, oh, by the way, you get to 1 Thessalonians. Or, uh, he 
You get to this one, okay? And here's what it says in, in verse 8. He says, so we cared for you. Why? Because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but of our lives as well. Delighted. That word for delighted means there was pure joy. Paul says, we found pure joy in the ability not just to share our lives or the gospel, but both. Both were necessary. Okay, there's something that you need to understand here. What you have to get is that, that you can't share truth without sharing your life. This is where churches go wrong. Okay, this is why mops and Moms Next that meets on Wednesday nights is fantastic. It's why small group ministries are exceptional. It's why Bible studies that get together are great. It's why we need these things, because here's the, the deal. You can't share an effective message without sharing your life. It won't work. You can't have one without the other. It's why, frankly, some of you, listen, some of you it's incomplete because some of you show up here on Sunday mornings, and it's great, I'm glad you're here on Sunday mornings. Some of you show up here every Sunday, some of you it's sporadic on Sundays, and I know we have other things going on, I get it, but some of you show up here on Sunday mornings and you listen to me and we sing and we pray and it's great and we honor God and, and, and we worship and it's real, and I'm not saying it's not real, it's real, it's meaningful, but then you go away. And then perhaps we'll see you next Sunday. And so we're, we're sharing this moment, but we're not sharing life. We're not sharing life together. And information download is great, but it'll only get you so far. And at some point in time, if you really want to grow, if you really want joy out of your Christian life, then you have to surrender to this stuff and you have to go ahead and you have to be real and you have to be authentic and you, and you have to be who you are, warts and all. You have to take off your mask, you have to go ahead and be broken and you have to let people know that you're broken. If you're not willing to do that, you can show up, I don't care how many Sundays, but if you're not willing to be real with people, if you're not willing to share life with people, it's always going to be incomplete. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian, but I'm going to challenge you here. I don't think you can be a Christian that grows. I don't think you can be a Christian that's effective. I don't think that you can be a Christian whose joy is complete if you're not somehow living life in community, in faith, and sharing that with people. It, I would imagine that there were some of you here that probably had knocked down drag-out fights on your way here with your kids, with your spouse, your significant other, whatever it is. Maybe some of you that came alone because of the knockdown drag out fight you had with your spouse, your significant other, your kids, I don't know. Or who just got the most devastating of news. Or are struggling with something internal that is so strong that it just eats away at you. And you and I have known each other for almost three years. And I don't know it. 
and you come on Sundays and you smile big and you greet me with a good morning, Pastor, how are you? And I, I greet you with an obligatory fine, how are you? Um, and before I can answer and before you can answer, we're both walking our separate ways to get a cup of coffee or to go say hi to somebody else or we're doing whatever. And not once have we stopped and taken off masks and said, look, here's what's going on and here's how it's hard and here's where the struggle is. Listen to me. That kind of existence is not what Christianity is supposed to be. And somewhere, if that's what you've come to believe being a part of a church is like, then, then again, you've been sold a false bill of goods. It's not that. It's something more profound than that. It's something bigger than that. You cannot share ministry if you can't share your life. And you can't share your life unless you're willing to be ugly in front of everybody else. I mean, that's, that's as blunt as I can put it. Unless you're willing to be ugly and nasty and disgusting in front of everybody else and to put all your cards on the table and have other people feel comfortable enough to put all their cards on the table and have this interchange and this dialogue where we challenge each other to grow, if you're not willing to do that, then you can't be surprised when it doesn't work for you. You can't be surprised when it's not relevant to you. You know, we talk, so all this talk about the church needs to be relevant, the church needs to be relevant, the church needs to be relevant. Yes, that's true. Okay, absolutely. But you know what? The church will never be relevant unless you do the things that make it relevant for you. How much time you guys spend putting, how much time do you ladies spend, sorry, putting on makeup in the morning? I'm talking like, Five minutes, 10 minutes, upwards of a half hour sometimes at my house. For Aubrey. <laughs> but here's the deal, right? I mean, this is what, we talk about this. It's like we spend all that time getting ourselves fixed up on the outside. I mean, we spend money. We sit in salons, so that's a thing, right? We sit in salons, we do all this stuff, we go shopping, we buy new stuff, we, to, all so that we can be presentable and look good on the outside. And Paul says, look, look, this is the one he says, he says, look, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That word for life there. You look at that original language, you know what that is? That is naked truth. When he says we shared our lives, he is saying we shared the core of our being, naked truth. Masks were gone. Everything was gone. What we were, we opened up to you, and you sorted through it. And what you were, you opened up, and we sorted through it, and we grew together, and there was joy there. He says, listen, we were delighted. It's hard, but I promise you it's good on the other end. It's why we acknowledge that we're messy. It's why we acknowledge that there's no perfect people. And when we can really understand that, then you know what? We can stop being mad at people for being who we know they are. And we can stop having expectations for people to be something we know they're not. And we can just share life. You depressed? Good. I am too sometimes. You're neurotic? 
Don't even get me started. Selfish? Come on. I don't care what it is. But you can't get past it until you're willing to deal with it. You can't deal with it. God says you can't deal with it. You can't be part of a healthy church body. You can't grow until you're willing to lay it all out there. So listen to me. I don't, you know, I, you know there's more that we could get into here today, but I think this is a good place for us to start to wind down. And we're going to have a time of reflection, okay? And there's a couple things I'm going to ask you to do. Is we, we're going to just listen to some, some music for a few minutes. We're going to pray. Um, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to a couple things. Um, and then we'll, we'll close with, with a, a word of prayer. Um, during that time, we're also going to collect the offering. If you're visiting with us today, remember, you're under no obligation to participate in that. That's something that those of us that call Blessed Hope home, that we do, um, that, that takes care of the ministry of the church. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do that's critical. I'm going to ask you to pray, and I'm going to ask you to reflect, and I'm going to ask you to respond. For some of you, the response is okay. You know that small group I already signed up for? I'm going to make a commitment to do that well. I'm going to make a commitment to, to be who I am in that small group, and I'm going to share my life with people, and it's going to be good. For some of you, it's you, just, you need to sign up. You need to get on board. For some of you, maybe it's I need to commit to, um, to just following Christ in general. Maybe some of those things that I'm so embarrassed about, my warts, my wrinkles, my ugliness, maybe I need to start to get that in check. Small group might be a, a great place to start that. Come talk to me. But let's start to have that conversation. You're holding something in. It's bitterness. It's, it's hard. It's, I, I don't know. Maybe you need to commit to that. You'd write that note on that tear-off card that you're going to let that go. Okay, whatever it is, okay, I'm going to ask you to think about how God might be calling you to respond um, because here's the deal. It can't work unless you're willing to do something different. It never works unless you're willing to do something different. If you're, you're, you're tired, you're burned out, you're exhausted, you're frustrated, or you're quite content, but you know deep down that you haven't moved, then it's time to do something different. Okay, it's time to stop being satisfied with normal Okay? It's time to take what Paul says seriously. It's more blessed to give than receive. How do you give? What, what do you give? What are we talking about giving there? You're talking about opening your life up, pouring yourself out. And some of you, you've got this big objection. The big objection is this, but I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be rejected. Listen to me. You're not going to be rejected. Not here. Not in this place. Not with these people. Not with me. If you're too worried about that, you come talk to me. I'll, I'll share my junk with you first. We've all got it. It's a big concern. People over and over and over again, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm going to get pushed back. I'm going to get rejected. I'm going to get burned. No. I don't know what you're used to, but not here. Let's do this. It's time for us to grow. So we're going to take a minute. Valerie's going to play. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to respond. And in a few minutes, the ushers will come and they'll collect your responses, your offering, and then we'll close. The ushers uh, finished collecting uh, 
this morning's offering and your responses, I want to encourage you, okay, again, that uh, when God lays something on your heart, okay, that your options are limited. You can say yes to God or you can say no to God, okay? Um, There is a, a popular third option that doesn't really exist that lots of us try to choose, which is, well, we'll just push God back. But come on, we're smart enough to know that if our kids did, did that to us, we would, we would call that saying no. So you, when God lays something on your heart, you can say yes, or you can say no. As your pastor, okay, I'm going to just be as blunt with you as I can. I love you. I want good for you. And I have made the mistake of saying no to God far too many times in my life to not tell you is a problem. When God lays something on your heart, no is the wrong answer. When God encourages you to move, moving is the way you do it. So if God's been laying something on your heart, whether it's um, you know, maybe time to, to seek membership, whether it's time to um, submit to baptism, whether it's time to get plugged into a small group, whether it's time to give me a call, sit down and, hey, Hans, let's have this out. There's things we need to talk about. Let me, let me share some, some of my struggles with you, and I can share some of my struggles with you, and we can, we can start figuring out um, how to get plugged in. Whatever it is, whatever God lays on your heart, it's time to start moving forward in that. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for the freedom, um, even just in the way that we do church. Sometimes it's a little different than other times, and today's a perfect example of that. But you know what? As long as we honor you, as long as we worship you, as long as you're glorified in what we do, um, it, then you are satisfied in that and in us. And so, God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you that you are kind. We thank you that you have opened up a way of salvation for us and that you haven't said that's it, but that you've also challenged us to grow and to be who you called us to be, be who you made us to be. We are made new in Christ so that we can grow in Christ and that we can revel in that and we can outlive ourselves and make a difference in this world and be part of something bigger. And it's hard, but it's where joy comes from, God, and that is such a blessing and we thank you for it. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we just thank you for today. Amen.